Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 198 of the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Today we will be talking about widespread antibiotic use and overuse and what to do if you have to take an antibiotic as well as delving a little bit into concerns with sterility, especially with all the recent focus on sanitation of pretty much everything right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I feel like we talk about probiotics all of the time. It's been a huge emphasis of my protocol with the anti-anxiety diet and a huge component of momming, I would say, when we're talking about keeping truly from birth all the way through your toddler and child's health. Probiotics play a really essential role in optimizing their immune function. So we've been hitting on that a lot. But like you said, the cognitive dissonance of most recently, the sterilize, sterilize, disinfect has created more, I think, of a need to have this conversation and really to ensure that all listeners feel empowered by what the microbiome is and the positive clinical double-blind placebo research studies out there, which are, again, the gold standard in literature and research that is peer-reviewed when you're looking at is a probiotic helpful? Because there's been some impact in the media most recently harping on probiotic effects, maybe saying that they're not helpful. And um, I just, I I can't wrap my my mind around it. I know. Um, Just a couple of episodes, I think, to highlight that we've done a deeper dive. Like we said, we probably touch on probiotics in some way, shape, or form, at least every other episode, if not every episode. Uh, But episode 60, we did dysbiosis and the microbiome as a focus. Episode 68 was supporting your immune system naturally. And we did a deep dive on ear infections and antibiotic use in kids, which we'll talk a little bit about today. Episode 87, we focused on the gut-brain access. 131 was a candida and SIBO deep dive. And 174, most recently was the dysbiosis and disease connection and Allie's most recent cleanse. So I'll link all of those for you guys in the show notes just to go back and review and refresh. Absolutely. So before we get into today's content, let's open with a word from our sponsor, Fond Bone Broth. So Fond is truly wellness well-made. It is slow-simmered, lovingly tendered from simmer to seal. Fond is made exclusively in stainless steel with well water that has naturally occurring minerals and is tested daily for excellence. And then they ensure that they source from organic farms. They use free-range chicken and they use the backs and the feet so that they get a nice oopy-goopy collagen gelatinous broth, which provides potent delivery for connective tissue, meaning hair, skin, nails, as well as gut health. 
bone broth is really like a facelift for the gut because we know that L-glutamine and those gelatinous compounds really kind of seal the gut lining, which reduces food sensitivities, inflammation, and can enhance immune function. What I love specifically about fond bone broth, not only are they high integrity and quality focused, but they also are functionally focused, meaning that they make these synergy formulas that really sip like a delicious elixir. Um, Their turmeric is blended with black pepper, so that biopurine in the black pepper enhances the curcuminoid absorption in the body, so you actually get more of that anti-inflammatory boost. Um, They also have a fantastic uh, flavor called the spur, which uses serrano peppers and beets. They are delicious all the way even through the hot summer months in Texas. Definitely go check them out. Fondboneboth.com slash pages slash Allie Miller. That's where you'll land on a page with my face and I get to share my pull quote on what I love about Fond. And also when you put in the code Allie Miller RD at checkout as a coupon code, you will save on your first order. Fondboneboth.com. Use the code Allie Miller RD at checkout. All right. Let's do it. Um, So yeah, like you said, what's interesting is that probiotics have been getting a little bit of, I would say, like negative press in in the news recently. Um, CNN about three weeks ago did a story, and I know some clients were sending it to us with concern. And then last night, actually, um, 60 Minutes did a feature on whether probiotics actually do anything. So I think I want to just clear this up first and um, then maybe kick off talking about the importance of the microbiome and what it does for our bodies. Sure. So, you know, the content in both of those departments was very vague at best and across the board noted that probiotics are shown to do no harm, but questioning the efficacy really was the big push, I guess, of the data and how much money Americans are wasting on probiotics that might not even have the strain that they're noting or may not be strain specific or may not be a live active culture or may have other fillers or things because of the FDA limitation on regulations. So, you know, I I would say that that's true across the board. Becky and I talk about that, and that's why really one of the main reasons why I developed Naturally Nourished Supplement line was to provide something that was safe, potent, and effective for my clients. And when you look at something like fish oil, yeah, there's fish oils on the market that are filled with soybean oil. But that is not to say that fish oils do not reduce leukotrienes and eosinophils and inflammatory mediators that we see building up in the body. That's not to say that omega-3s haven't been shown to reduce risk for stroke and heart disease. So we can see the same thing. And what was really interesting was in the CNN piece, they highlighted areas where probiotics have been shown to be effective, like C. diff. Um, And they also even highlighted with uh, the pouching that can happen with diverticulitis and um, ulcerative colitis, probiotics being supportive there. Um, And there was no research study that was uh, demonstrated to show harm again. And there was no research studies actually at all in any of this. The only information that was shared was that maybe they aren't what they're saying they are. So what was very frustrating to me as a functional medicine practitioner is for the people that don't have access to real resources like our podcast or science evidence-based data out there, they don't get that 
other edge of the sword saying, oh no, here is, as I mentioned, a double blind randomized clinical trial, which took a placebo comparing to this probiotic product. And these were the measurable clinical outcomes. None of that was unpacked with either of these resources. And so I, I really feel that it's a disservice to the public. It's dumbing down the ability for the public to understand science and critical thinking. And I think it's it's frustrating and it, it re- removes such a powerful player in disease management and control. And it's disheartening. I hate to be a conspiracy theorist, but as we will talk today a little bit, um, I shared a couple weeks back on Instagram uh, when I was talking about funding in research and the monetization that we see from big pharma influencing colleges, influencing the NIH, influencing decision and protocol. And then you look at the same funding from big pharma and interventionist-based companies on the media. And so, yeah, if CNN's biggest funder is big pharma and one out of three ads is a pharmaceutical mm-hmm. ad, you damn right they're going to push that. Why would they push that probiotics help? Because they, they want you on your biologics. They want you on your anti-inflammatories. They want you on your Humira and your Imuron and all these compounds that eventually over time create a pharmageddon of, uh, you know, medications for side effects for side effects and totally okay off off the off the step (laughs) you have to you have to wonder what the intention is and really i think the context matters is the biggest piece to take away there so guys ignore those pieces out there keep taking your probiotics don't stop eating cultured foods they kind of poo-pooed that as well and i'm like that's something that everyone has access to even if you're not purchasing a probiotic maybe it's a little too expensive or you're not ready to make that step that's someone something that everyone has access to and is not going to do harm at the end of the day most definitely and yep. it was disheartening to see them poo-poo it on that's like a freudian slip with probiotics <laughs> yes, <it totally laughs> on, <is. laughs> on um you know child interventions with constipation becky and i were commenting there was some gastroenterologist who was like we haven't seen clinical evidence, which is not true. Mm-hmm. Again, <laughs> there are randomized controlled clinical trials using probiotics for an intervention for bowel regulation for both diarrhea and chronic constipation. And I'm sorry, I'm sure that that gastroenterologist enjoys prescribing harmless Miralax when we've talked sure. about propylene glycol, you know, the PEG 60 in there and what that's been drawn to as far as neurotoxicity and hormone disruption and really severe side effects. So I just, it's so frustrating when something is not harmful and has been prone to be clinically effect, proven to be clinically effective, but maybe people just don't know the right brands or the resources. Exactly. So I just got to keep talking louder. Yep. Yep. And even GI doctors who are pretty conventional are recommending probiotics pretty regularly, you know, in my experience, even to, you know, to IBS and, and especially the IBD population. So there's a little bit of a disconnect. Most definitely. I I don't think that that's the mainstream consensus in the GI world. And I always share that that was my first big category of win of physicians was gastroenterologists because they would call me when I was working for the physicians group and I was getting their referrals as the dietitian, and they were like, oh no, like, what are you doing with my patients? And it's like, well, I'm putting them on my GI lining support or a product that was similar to that at that time, which is the L-glutamine with the DGL and the aloe, which is that mucilaginous gut protecting compound. And I'm putting them on my targeted strength probiotic or my rebuild spectrum probiotic. And yeah, now they're able to get off of XYZ drug. 
All right. So enough there. Don't pay any attention to that inflammatory stuff, guys. Um, So let's go down the rabbit hole of maybe some of the research on benefits of of probiotics and just highlight a couple of studies in um, different areas where, where we can see benefit. Sure. So, you know, when we're talking about the microbiome, just a little context here or definition, the microbiome is comprised of the hundred trillion cells of bacteria and yeast that line the mucosal membranes of our body. So our mouth, our skin, our gut, even we have an ocular microbiome in our eyes, we have a vaginal biome, right? And this is comprised of about three to five pounds of our body on the scale as this living bacteria and yeast that really we serve as the host for. So this microbiome collectively can work symbiotically or have a favorable relationship with your body or it can work in a dysbiotic state where it is having an unfavorable or harmful imbalancing influence on the individual yes absolutely and then digging into maybe let's start with digestion let's dig into just maybe one or two studies um, per area of how uh, probiotics can be supportive yeah so i'm going to break down five areas and these are all you know if in a symbiotic state i'll kind of call out you know how adding in probacteria can resolve conditions or how an imbalanced gut can throw off or drive dysfunction in that area of focus and yeah i think becky the the first one that we think of as the most kind of light switch effect or direct connection to the microbiome is our our gastrointestinal tract, our GI system. So we can see clinical evidence of probiotics serving to reduce bloating. Um, We see also in literature that they actually can enhance nutrient status because the probacteria that line your intestines actually break down food particles. This can contribute in reducing food sensitivity or food allergy even. And then we can also see more nutritional synthesis. Your probacteria actually make nutrients as well. So they aid in absorption of nutrients and they manufacture nutrients like biotin and B12, which are manufactured in the colon, butyrate, which is a short chain fatty acid, which has been shown to prevent colon cancer, huge connection of butyrate and bifidobacteria strains and lactobacillus bacteria strains in clinical evidence-based research. Uh, And then the most maybe duh one beyond the bloating distension and the nutrient is going to be the bowel formation itself. Um, And so there is a research study actually that we will link in the show notes and it was called probiotic bacteria lactobacillus acidophilus NCFM. This is the strain that we use in the targeted strength, the restore baseline probiotic and in the uh, kids biotic and the bifidobacterium lactis bi07 which we use bifido in those strains as well versus placebo for the symptoms of bloating in patients with functional bowel disorders a double blind study and they did see clinical evidence and what's interesting to state is you know this is really in the baseline of our probiotic challenge um, are we going to talk about that in detail? Is it coming? We can talk about it now if you okay. want to. <laughs> we don't have it in here today. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, I, um, I, I don't always look at the show notes. That's fine. My, <laughs> my delivery for you guys is so organic and off the cuff. Um, so, you know, we use the probiotic challenge as a tool for listeners, you know, listeners and even active clients to determine the state of their gut as far as are they in a symbiotic Uh, gut which is already optimized are they in a dysbiotic gut or they are they in a sterilized gut 
And the probiotic challenge essentially uses objective data to assess bloating. So we do allow qualitative assessment as well when you're tracking your results of your probiotic challenge. And that would be like, you know, GI cramping or bowel formation, uh, frequency or amount of output of bowels. Like, you know, is it small dense or did you feel like you had a nice half cup release of stool or two bowel movements in the day? And then um, we even take in qualitative assessments like sleep and mood and brain function and um, you know how reactive you were to foods through that day, skin changes. But the uh, quantita- quantitative measurement is taking your waist measurement at rise and at rest. And you take three of these measurements as a baseline before you take the restore baseline probiotic. And you're looking at that fermentation in your gut. So basically how from the rise to rest, how many inches of variance do you see based on your microbiome eating at what you're consuming throughout the day? So most people will see about a two inch variance from rise to rest in their abdomen. Now, then we start for three days at one capsule of the Restore Baseline. Then we do three days at two capsules, three days at three capsules, and three days at four capsules. We will link the details of the probiotic challenge in today's episode notes so you can read along slowly. But basically, you're looking at going from a baseline measurement to 15 billion all the way up to 60 billion, four of the 15 billion capsules. Um, So 60 billion colony forming units. And what you're looking at is if your gut improves, then your gut was in somewhat of a sterilized state and it is benefiting from that addition of the higher dosage of the good flora. And so the targeted strength probiotic would be the best choice for you. If you see no change, um, then you already are in a symbiotic gut and the increase of probiotic doesn't trigger a battle and it doesn't seem to also support you. So you're fine with just doing one of those restore baseline probiotics as an insurance policy and incorporating a probiotic rich food. And then if you see things decline or worsen as you go up the the stairs with that probiotic culture, then you are in a state of dysbiosis and there is a battle environment going on in your GI tract where the bad army is trying to battle the good. You likely have to stop probiotic supplementation altogether and do the beat the bloat cleanse. Yes, absolutely. I'll link that resource in our show notes for today and, and, you know, great kind of easy tool, cost effective, affordable, and it's, you know, you're gathering data from your own body at the end of the day, which I would trust that over any research study out there to be perfectly frank. I think that's the most powerful testament exactly. And so that's the best way for, I mean, this whole episode, I would say the best way to understand if probiotics work for you is do the probiotic challenge. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, (laughs) yes. Um, How about mood? I know this is um, one of your areas of expertise with the anti-anxiety diet. And I think I only pulled one study. I know you have so many linked in that book, Um, but let's talk a little bit about the influence on mood and and some of your findings within the anti-anxiety diet. Sure. So the big connection there is that we have an enteric nervous system or second brain of the body, which resides in our gut. And in our gut is where we manufacture actually a majority of our neurotransmitters. 80% of our serotonin is made there. We make a lot of our dopamine in the gut as well as our um, GABA in there. And and dopamine primarily is actually produced in the adrenals, um, but there is some influence back and forth with the gut chemistry. 
Now, what's interesting is when the gut is in a symbiotic state or an optimal state, um, we will see a higher amount of serotonin and GABA or these inhibitory mellowing out compounds for our mood. So these are anti-anxiety or mood stabilizing. And if the gut is in a dysbiotic state, we actually are not only going to have a hindered expression of that landing gear of your stress response, so you're not making as much of those feel-good neurotransmitters, but adding insult to injury, you actually make more epinephrine or more adrenaline as a response from a dysbiotic gut. So you could be dealing with panic attacks and really severe fight or flight response of that adrenaline surge from your, your brain, getting that feedback from the gut saying, this isn't right in here. Something's not right in here. And so that can be often a very significant connection to anxiety and mood. And adding insult to injury, if we're thinking about the climate today with pandemic and all of the things, it's important to note that stress alone sterilizes the microbiome. And so if we are just emotionally or mentally stressed, this is a time to really ensure that we are being more proactive and vigilant with a probiotic supplement because we likely are not um, maintaining the viability of those gut bugs. Um, I talk about that research a lot in the anti-anxiety diet, but one study that we want to highlight that will be linked in today's notes is um, by the Journal of Nutrition and it is entitled Clinical and Metabolic Response to Probiotic Administration in Patients with Major Depressive Disorder. And this was a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial. So again, gold standard as far as uh, research when we're looking at does this thing do something <laughs> and really looking at all of the variables that could interfere with it. And they found that there was a measurable improvement on mood using the Becker Index, which is gold standard in psychology, um, on mood and antidepressant effects. They saw a reduction in CRP, which is overall inflammation in the body, um, which I connect inflammation to mood, but we know inflammation is the root cause of all chronic illness. Um, they saw insulin resistance to go down, um, so more insulin sensitivity with use of the probiotic, and they saw glutathione stores increased in the individual that used the probiotic and also the probiotic that was used had the lactobacillus and bifido strains which are found in many of our products so so cool and you know some of those effects are are things we weren't necessarily looking for in that right. study we were looking for the mood improvement but there's a myriad of other benefits that participants got so i think that's really cool especially when you connect glutathione as that uh -huh. master antioxidant and again right now timely they're saying endogenous uh, meaning in the body glutathione stores to be one of now the greater factors in survivorship or reduced mortality with severe infection of covid so i think that's really important all the more reason to take a probiotic for sure. Yes. Um, and then hormones. I know this is another big area of focus. And we dove into this a little bit in episode, I think I said 174 on your cleanse and um, the connection with endometriosis um, and estrogen metabolism. But let's go there a little bit and talk about hormones. Sure. And, and honestly, I feel personally that that's really what contributed to my success with uh, my pregnancy with Stella. I think that that first ever candida cleanse using the Beat the Bloat protocol had such a shift on my uterine tissue and such a shift on my sexual hormone balance 
that that was kind of a big uh, catapult into um, what helped with my pregnancy. So I think definitely I could speak to that on that level. But we do see that uh, the gut bacteria actually is so intimately connected with sexual hormone that we call it the estrobilome, um, which is truly its own network connection of how sexual hormone interplays with the microbiome. And we know that based on strain, we can see more estrogen dominance in a dysbiotic state. Um, We can also see uh, an impact on estrogen receptors and um, ER positive breast cancer with a connection of the estrobilome. And uh, we've even seen the same um, when we're looking at sexual hormone connection and just the colon itself, connecting that we think of the liver as the primary detoxifier and the liver is the uh, organ that is going to manufacture hormone and play a big role there. But the colon is a regulator. And if you aren't having a healthy bowel movement daily, that's likely a huge factor driving the estrogen dominance in the body. And that lack of the colon clearing the estrogen is going to then interact with the estrobilome, which then gives signals to the microbiome. And it just kind of creates this chicken and egg relationship. And like you said, Becky, PCOS is a big one um, where we can see an influence. And um, we can also see this with endometriosis and fibroids. Totally. And the beat the bloat cleanse is often an intervention for women, whether they have diagnosed endometriosis or maybe suspected because of, you know, heavy and painful periods. And more often than not, we see a really good reset of their cycle, you know, within two to three months of doing that cleanse. And I think it's due part. It's both mm-hmm. because we are killing off some of that dysbiotic flora or dysbiotic strains of bacteria and yeast that contributed to the hormone imbalance. But then the agents that we use in the Beat the Bilt Cleanse, so the uh, berberine, for instance, has been shown to have specific direct impact on uterine cells. Um, and then we even see things like natural killer cell influence from berberine, which we see natural killer cell increase to be an impact with miscarriage. So uh, we see in the um, herbal immune formula, which is the essential oil formula in there, that the lemon balm has been shown to favorably support progesterone levels in the body. And we see that that has some diuretic effects. So there's definitely a hormone connection to some of the tools that are used in the cleanse beyond just the reset of the flora, if you will, in the body. Definitely a synergistic impact, which I always love about functional medicine when you get a a two for one. Totally. (laughs) Super, super cool. Um, And then we've alluded to a little bit the immunological impact of probiotics, but I always like when you highlight this one study from the Journal of Pediatrics. Let's talk about that. Yeah, it's my favorite because it's also a randomized controlled clinical trial Um, And it was entitled Probiotic Effects on Cold and Influenza-like Symptom Incidence and Duration in Children. And um, it looked at uh, three to five-year-olds for six months. And it found that probiotic use with the two strains, exact strains that are in the kids' biotic grape chewable in the Naturally Nourished line, that those two strains in the dosage of one tablet, and we do one to two tablets depending on the child's weight, uh, was an effective way to reduce fever, rhinorrhea, which is basically chronic runny nose, cough incidence and duration of cough, as well as uh, the antibiotic prescription incidence, the number of missed sick days at school. So, you know, we saw across the board symptoms, less need for medication, and less sick days when using the probiotic with the two strains in the kids' biotic. 
Yes, and I know you've been even more vigilant with making sure that Stella takes that daily now that she is, you know, six plus weeks back to school. Yeah, and we, we keep her at two a day, and then she also has a probiotic rich food a day, most mm-hmm. definitely. And, and if, honestly, I'm always prone to throw in a third chew if anything out of the norm is going on. Sure. Um, and then last but not least, um, probiotics can even have beneficial impact on our metabolism. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So there was a really cool review and the review itself entails a lot of double blind studies. So you can check out all the resources within it, but I thought it was really a nice compilated, uh, review called a research, a review on the role of the microbiome in obesity and anti-obesity properties of probiotic supplements. So they specifically looked at the various mechanisms of reduced visceral fat, which is the fat closest to the organs, uh, regulated blood sugar response. Uh, They actually saw less gluconeogenesis or less blood sugar production when the biome was optimized and probiotic capsule was used and an improvement in hunger signaling and satiety, which then, you know, downstream impacts, of course, the behavioral elements of, of more extended calorie control. Um, so we did see a big impact there and, um, there's tons within that review of additional research studies, but, but multiple mechanisms again, of how probacteria can work to support optimal metabolism and body composition change. Sure. And then even thinking about manufacture of certain nutrients, like you alluded to biotin and, you know, B12 is another big one that's made by good bugs in our colon. Um, and those have influence on metabolism as well. Yeah. You don't need that B12 injection. Exactly. <laughs> at the weight exactly. loss shop. If your body's making it for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. Um, so sounds like probiotics are important and there's really a world of research. We just kind of tipped off a few of our, you know, favorite studies, but there's a world of research that supports their use and benefit. Um, Let's talk just kind of on the flip side here about the prevalence of antibiotic use and why this is problematic. Yeah, so antibiotics are the number one prescribed drug class, uh, at least of what we found from 2018. I think they're still gathering the 2019 literature. Uh, 40 billion uh, global gross on antibiotics and an increase from 2005 to 2015 of a 40% increase of antibiotic prescription or use. Uh, So the concerns of antibiotics widely are, we've talked about, like Becky said, in that one on Stella's ear infections, is that, um, you know, often antibiotics are prescribed without determining if something is viral or bacterial mediated. And so they can be misused or over-prescribed with no beneficial use for a viral infection. And so, you know, you can't combat virus with an antibiotic. Um, The other concern is when you do take an antibiotic that this can drive sterility of your microbiome. So it is not discriminatory of, you know, the good bugs get to stay viable and it just kills the overgrowth. It's going to kind of be like an atom bomb in the belly. And that's why often we can see dysbiosis flares following antibiotic use and especially like yeast, um, which is why now some physicians even prophylactically will prescribe on the tail end of their antibiotic, like diflucan or fluconazole or an antifungal agent for a day or two to ensure that that prevents that fungal flare, which could drive following that sterility. And on a macro level, beyond it impacting the individual's microbiome, the concern is that it creates superbugs or antibiotics 
antibiotic resistance. And I really started to get very passionate about this as a topic based on the prophylactic use of antibiotics in animals um, when we're talking about confined animal farming. And so if you look at, you know, the operations of, um, you know, more industrialized animal production, because the environments in which they live don't have access to fresh air, to the sun, to grass, to a nutrient-dense diet, to use their muscles to maintain their immunological function, um, with all of the side effects of a sedentary, toxic lifestyle, these animals are being given antibiotics, upwards to a quarter pound of antibiotics in the feed of a cow, I read somewhere. Um, and so the issue is this antibiotic then goes into our groundwater and creates superbugs in our environment, which are over time, and the, the World Health organization stated this that probiotics are likely to be the most powerful tool when antibiotics are rendered useless based on antimicrobial resistance and um, I know you pulled a, a quote as well it says antimicrobial resistance threatens the effective prevention and treatment of an ever-increasing range of infections caused by bacteria parasites viruses and fungi um, it is an increasingly serious threat to global public health that requires action across all government sectors and society. Antimicrobial resistance is present in all parts of the world. New resistance mechanisms are emerging and spreading globally. I wonder how much attention that's getting right now in the <laughs> context of the pandemic, because that was certainly written before. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that it kind of says right there yeah. when you, when you, again, over sterilize, you, cre you can't outsmart nature is, is how I always like to kind of go back with the common sense approach. And so you really want to work with the body versus these blockades where nature is just going to work around and find another outlet. Exactly. Um, let's back up for a second, just call out maybe some of the common antibiotics out there. Most people know if they're going on an antibiotic, but just some of the common ones we see used and um, maybe some of their, you know, potential uses. Sure. So, you know, these are, again, drugs that are to be used to treat a bacterial infection. And we started with, you know, the discovery of penicillin back in 1926. And that was huge medical breakthrough, of course. Um, and this was uh, pulled from mold um, as its uh, source. Now, many of the antibiotics now are going to be synthetic, of course, and that helps with patenting and all of the fun that happens in big pharma. But anything from amoxicillin to doxycycline to um, citroflaxin, excuse me, to metronidiazole and sulfa drugs um, are going to be in that family. Uh, uh, amoxicillin is a big one. Um, a lot of times if there's an in at the end, mm -hmm. that, that's kind of one of the, the big areas that would be an antibiotic. And these will commonly be used, as we talked about with the kids uh, episode, ear infections is the number one, you know, first cause of why a child would have an antibiotic given to them within their first three years of life. And, um, you know, this is something that we really get concerned about when we're talking about asthma, the immune function overall. Um, we're talking about things like allergies and um, the uh, respiratory system of the individual. There can be definitely a lot of trends that we see from early intervention of antibiotic use hindering that child's whole body health. So we, we kind of want to think of always the first line of defense to prevent um, acne is another common area where just recently in the last decade and a half, antibiotics have been used more daily um, for treatment and also in topicals, it's worth noting. 
the upper respiratory infections, often um, they'll go on like a Z-pack, for instance, for like a really severe bronchitis. Um, strep throat is another one, STDs, pink eye, UTIs, um, diarrhea, IBS, um, especially if we're looking at like C. diff or something like that, a gnome pathogen or salmonella or something like that. And um, skin infections is another like uh, when we see a lot of the, the derm uh, infections that are bacteria mediated. And then there's prophylactic use. And I use that word when I was talking about in the animal feed. And what I mean by that is without infection. So we're, we're giving this because we know the environment or the intervention would be maybe a risk hazard. So prophylactic use would be like in a dental procedure, if they're going into your periodontal tissue and liberating a lot of bacteria and they want to prevent a systemic infection or uh, surgeries would be another one where, you know, we're, we're really creating a very sterile environment in that operation sure so a lot of uses and and you know in an ideal world we're doing something to prevent these things in the first place or ideally we are intervening with you know natural interventions first and kind of saving the antibiotic as a last resort Um, but is there a time you would say like in your opinion the antibiotic use would be warranted and then let's also unpack when they should not be used yeah, so I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, when you have a known serial back, serious bacterial infection, an antibiotic is a fantastic tool. I mean, they're, they are a, like I said, that a dynamic movement in modernized medicine, and they can definitely be used to treat life-threatening disease and sepsis. Um, so if you're having like a perforated bowel or, you know, white blood cell count is way off, and we know that there is a bacterial infection um, based on testing. Now, an antibiotic should not be used, again, if it's a viral infection, there's no benefit. Um, And even just things like the cold and the flu, um, which are in the viral world, um, obviously things like pandemic is a virus, right? (laughs) Um, And and I just really don't find a use for, for regular daily use. I have some of my clients that are on infectious disease protocols based on, um, you know, various incidents that had occurred in their past, um, where they're like taking a daily dose of Bactrim or, um, doxycycline, uh, in low dose for acne. And I really just feel, you know, like I said, as far as root cause orienting, when we're looking at ear infection, there's a lot of first line of defense. Can you remove dairy from the diet first? Can you look at using the oil of oregano and olive oil in the ears um, or vinegar flushes and things? There's various interventions as first line to try to clear early onset and stay vigilant with the body and work with the body versus going for that atom bomb drop. And acne is one that I just feel there are enough natural antibacterial botanicals that are very effective, like again, berberine being one that's very powerful and um, still not as deleterious or harmful on the positive floor in the body. Totally. And the fact that antibiotics are used in that case kind of acknowledges that dysbiosis is likely, you know, the root cause. So doing something like our beat the bloat cleanse, again, is usually, you know, within our first line of intervention for anyone dealing with you know, chronic breakouts. Yeah. And it's just like, again, or to prescribe birth control for someone that has chronic breakouts versus to assess their hormones, help their liver and their colon clear hormone imbalance, help their body get into a more parasympathetic regulatory state to balance hormones is going to be more root cause oriented. Totally. And then, you know, antibiotics do come with their own 
set of side effects, certainly some more serious than others, but let's just highlight a few of the big ones. Yeah, there's acute and chronic effects. So the acute effects are going to be like nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, cramping or stomach pain. Uh, We can get that vaginal itching or discharge or yeast infection following uh, headache and rash or dermatological reactions to antibiotics um, can be commonly seen. We can see uh, also fatigue. We can see in some studies, we've seen a tie of colitis um, based on an overgrowth of the the clostridium species of bacteria, which are resistant to the antibiotic. So this could be following that that antibiotic use. Um, And then we can even see things like uh, liver toxicity and jaundice. Uh, we can see some neurological impact like seizure. That's usually with a, a drug intolerance. Um, and then we can see hormone imbalance and cycle disruption for women that are menstruating. And then as we alluded to a little bit, you know, especially with um, antibiotic use for ear infections, let's talk about allergies and asthma as the connection in children when we're using antibiotics on a regular basis. Yeah, they looked at a recent uh, research review and it was looking at antibiotic use and development of allergies. And they looked at the health records of almost 800,000 children born between 2001 and 2013. And they found a link um, of babies who took antibiotics between birth and six months in the developing of allergies and asthma. And it was a 50% increase for allergies to dust, dander, and pollen, driving allergic rhinitis or runny nose, as well as conjunctivitis or eye gunk, essentially, and um, even anaphylaxis. Um, So really severe like um, EOE or upper respiratory distress of um, difficulty breathing from severe allergy response. Yes, and I'll link to um, the blog where you talk about prevention and treatment of ear infections for kiddos because I think that also highlights some of the the big um, scary numbers of, you know, before 18 months of age, if an antibiotic is used, we're seeing increased risk of allergies times three, increased risk of asthma times four, increasing the risk of eczema up to a six-fold, which is pretty scary. Yeah, and uh, it's the number one cause of a visit to the pediatrician, aside from those mile mark, mm-hmm. you know, proactive causes. It's the number one sick cause reason that a, a child would go see a doctor. And again, that's usually that first line of defense. And so there's a lot of things we can do prior. And Stella's never had like a full-blown ear infection, no, right? No, she's, she's only had a mild, okay. and um, the mild one was treated with the oil of, uh, the olive oil, and um, it's garlic mullen. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I said olive, I said oregano oil earlier, my bad. It's garlic mullen olive oil blend, eardrops, and it's by Herb Farm. Yeah. Um, we'll be sure to link it in the show notes. And so we used that just more aggressively at that time, and it was enough to clear it. We tripled her probiotic at that time and um, we pulled dairy out we've pulled dairy out anytime she gets gunky but now at age four her gut and her respiratory system is so solid truly that she doesn't really have any i've yet to witness a food reaction and she's 
one of the least gunky kids, I would say. Uh-huh. Oh, definitely. <laughs> like, you know, I, I don't even remember the last time, even in this last season of like the cold stuff, um, she's getting so much better with the blowing of her nose. And now with the Exlear, the, that nasal spray that I use with her, which uses the grapefruit seed extract, another antimicrobial natural compound um, and saline uh, solution. She's so good with that. And um, you can tell she enjoys her nose not being stuffed. So she'll like actually ask for it, which is awesome. Totally. Yep. And some kids are running around pretty snotty. I remember when I was <laughs> teaching being like, oh, if you were my child, I would blow your nose, but I really don't want to touch this. Um. <laughs> well, and you know what? Yep. That really creates concern with mask wearing in oh, children. Totally. Yep. I good point. can't even um, because what a joke. I mean, to imagine that the CDC is saying masks on children ages two <laughs> and up. Are you kidding me? Because ages two through five, are they, if you can get them to use their sleeve on their gunky yep. face, you're you're lucky. Yep. Imagine a mask with gunk on it. What do you think is going to happen with that? That's, uh, again, a vector for pathogen is what a mask is for a child, a cloth-based mask. It just carries germs. And then they're touching it all day and pulling it down, and who knows if it's getting washed daily, all the things. And their body does not benefit from having that gunky slime stuck to their face. Nope. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Their body's trying to get it out, (laughs) so let them get it out. Yikes. Um, And then, you know, other scary side effects we've seen like hallucinations, psychotic reactions, tendon ruptures, just some really scary nerve damage and things of that nature with antibiotic use as well. Yeah. The the one that's hit the biggest impact from media is the fluoroquinolones. And um, these have driven more of the psychotic reactions as well as the mitochondrial impact, which have been shown to drive irreversible nerve damage in some And um, about 10 years ago, the FDA actually required their manufacturers to add a black box, that's the most severe, warning on these drugs and um, put the note for an increased, excuse me, risk for tendon rupture and tendonitis. Um, And so they didn't get the black box warning for the psychological influence, but tendon rupture is very common. And I've seen that clinically within my own patient load. So some really scary stuff to consider if, you know, someone is trying to put you on an antibiotic for sure. Um, I want to dig a little more maybe into um, antibiotic resistance because I think, you know, most of us have heard this tossed around with, you know, MRSA in hospitals and things like that. Um, And you alluded to already use in food supply. So even if we're not actively taking antibiotics and, you know, trying to avoid, we might be getting influence from our food or water. Yeah, I mean, over every year, and especially in the recent years as we've seen antibiotic resistance rise along with superbugs, um, we see 2,300 Americans uh, died in the past year because of bacteria that is resistant to antibiotics. So, you know, the doctor tried the cocktail of the various antibiotics and they weren't able to eradicate that quote unquote resistant nightmare bacteria that can just take out the elderly and immune compromised. And this is again widely due to the misuse or overuse as, as well as them in our water and food supply. So the, the concern is that bacteria, what, what antibiotic resistance is essentially is that bacteria are going to change in some way that makes them unaffected or um, uh, 
resistant, <laughs> yeah, that's the word, right, <laughs> to prescription drugs. And so these antibacterial agents that were once able to eradicate or kill off these strains of bacteria are now worthless. So this is a big risk because if we're if we're giving these antibiotics from colds and things that don't warrant their use, when we really need them to save someone's life, they may become worthless. Yeah, it's like the boy who cried wolf scenario, right? Of like you use it for that little thing and when you actually do need it, it's not gonna work. Absolutely. And it can be it can be on both ends of the puzzle where the bacteria can actually develop the ability to neutralize the antibiotic. Others can pump the antibiotic out of the body rapidly, um, and uh, we've even seen some be able to change their attack site to another location on the body and, and translocation of bacteria. And again, what we see with this mutation, often there's a change of, of the DNA and genetic material to build up the defense of this superbug. And in that mutation, again, then what we were prior using has no impact and this superbug is more harmful to the human body can't outsmart nature, I think is like the bottom line of of the whole conversation on antibiotic resistance. Um, So now that we've sufficiently scared you guys, right? we've done all of the shock and awe stuff, I wanted to get that out of the way first. Let's just take a quick break to talk about our mid-roll sponsor for today's episode, Wild Foods. Sure. So Wild Foods is a food company that puts quality, sustainability, and health first in all of their products. They have everything from coffee to turmeric to medicinal mushrooms, and every product is sourced from small farms around the globe. They've taken their mission seriously to fix the broken system, and they believe, just like Becky and I do, that real food is medicine. So they have partnered with us to give you guys an exclusive discount. If you use the code AllieMillerRD at checkout, you will get 12% off of your order. So Becky, let's highlight some of our favorite products at Wild Foods that we want listeners to go check out. Yes. So one thing I've been using a lot more in our household is their wild vanilla powder. So this is made from whole ground vanilla beans versus a vanilla extract that has that kind of alcohol aftertaste, Um, especially if you use it in something like a smoothie. I've been putting it in um, a matcha. So I'm also using the wild foods matcha right now um, and enjoying that as like a little mid-afternoon pick me up combined with the vanilla and maybe some cashew milk. Really, really nice. Um, and they're using whole stone ground green tea leaves that are, you know, really well sourced and, um, don't have that oxidized, like grassy flavor It's actually a really good (laughs) flavor of matcha. Awesome. And when you get that whole leaf, you know, you're going to be getting a higher density of L-theanine, which helps with the brain chemistry to find your mellow, that alpha brainwave flow. And also you're getting all of those antioxidants that we would get like 10 glasses of brewed green tea in that teaspoon of matcha. So a really great way to get that sustained energy, that antioxidant boost, which can help with body fat burn as well as immune support. And when we're talking about immune support, another area of interest is in black tea. I've been really into their twilight black tea, which is 
They have one through 10 numbered tea blends. I've talked to you guys in past episodes about the Thai G, which is also awesome, a green rooibos with ginger and lemongrass and lime. Um, but the Midnight Black Tea is really aromatic, beautiful. I've also been blending that with some nut milk to make like an iced creamy latte midday. And I've been putting in the vanilla bean myself. I love that because you get that emulation of like a sweet flavor profile without adding carbs. Um, so you're not getting a glycemic index, but you actually are getting antioxidants and you know, you kind of taste with your nose first. So that really beautiful, rich smell has such an impact on kind of rounding out the flavor profile and making it just a special midday pick me up experience. And the last thing I want to call out, um, for them is the Cocotropic wild food, uh, wild superfood elixir, excuse me. And this is their best selling, um, blend. It is wild chocolate with reishi and chaga mushroom extracts, raw maca and turmeric. So you're getting this nootropic, this brain busting blend that also has these compounds in the reishi and chaga to aid as resilience for stress, support the immune system, also regulate that HPA axis so you're not overstimulating the cortisol. We're getting the anti-inflammatory effect from the turmeric and the cacao, a little bit of pick-me-up from the caffeine in there, and the maca to tonify hormone expression. Really nice synergy of ingredients, and they blend so well as an alternate to a latte if you're looking at rebounding your adrenals and (laughs) weaning off of the coffee. But I will say also (laughs) their coffee is fantastic as well, and um, we're always looking for sources that are free of mold and contaminants. So go on over to wildfoods.co, that's .co, not com, and put in the code AllieMillerRD at checkout. You will get 12% off your first order at wildfoods.co. Use AllieMillerRD. All right. So now getting into kind of more of the intervention focus, less shock and awe, because I think we've sufficiently done that. Um, If you have had to take an antibiotic or have recently taken one, um, what would you say is the best way to bounce back and kind of run some damage control? Because sometimes this is inevitable or we've weighed out the cost benefit and we do end up taking it, you know, for that surgery because Our surgeon won't perform the surgery if you don't take it, although they can't be in your home monitoring. (laughs) Yes, yes. But but again, that's one where like I, um, you know, I always say with, you have to be grateful for modern medicine and what it does and just understand the impact. It's always about what's the mechanism of action because obviously like uh, grateful to be on an IV antibiotic for my emergency C-section because a nobody want to cut through (laughs) layers of your tissue and do all that thing in a very, that's an unnatural process. So Mm -hmm. I feel confident that my body would not know how to deal with that bacteria shift from that, that surgical procedure. Now, do I feel that my body would deal well with a vaginal birth and not needing IV antibiotics? Yeah. And, and I mean, we can have a whole episode, I think in your third trimester, we'll We'll, talk about the strep B thing. Yeah. We yep. will definitely talk we have about to. that, what I'm doing to prevent yes. <laughs> infection and yes. all the things. But yeah. so, you know, I think that the biggest thing is that we have to be mindful that antibiotics, again, are non-discriminatory and they kill off all of the things. And so you want to be very pro-vigilant and proactive to get a probiotic in your system. Um, I try to separate it at least four hours from the antibiotic, so you're not just killing off what you're taking at the same time. And I generally say that you double down with your probiotic for the length of time of the antibiotic use. So if it was a 10-day course of antibiotic, you would take your probiotic, let's say that, that you are doing 
the baseline restore probiotic um, regularly anyway. So you would keep that at bed. You keep your antibiotics separated four hours away in your dosing. And then um, after that day 10, on day 11, you bump up to double. So you're taking now one at rise and one at bed of your probiotic for 10 days. And then as you get through that 10 days, then you could go back down to that one. Um, and so interesting, Becky, because there's a beautiful study and it, it's um, called uh, Prescribing an Antibiotic, Pair It With Probiotics um, by a Journal of Family uh, Practitioners. And um, it is really solid research demonstrating that a probiotic can reduce GI stress, diarrhea, and mood imbalance that can follow from antibiotic use. Go figure. <laughs> No, but, but probiotics don't work. 60 Minutes told me. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, you know, if you are in an antibiotic and you know that that's in your future, that I actually created the uh, Bacteria Rebuild Bundle that we use in our Beat the Bloke protocol to also serve as a bacteria reset for you following an antibiotic. So what this includes is the Baseline Restore Probiotic. And then it has the GI cleanup, which has in there a um, probiophage is the form. It's a probacteriophage or a macrophage that can actually eat away at the gut lining, which may have imbalance to create space for beneficial flora. And the GI cleanup itself actually has beneficial strain within that, that it delivers as that phage activity is eating away. And then the Rebuild Spectrum probiotic is in that blend as well, which that has multiple strains of gut flora. Instead of just the lacto and bifido, this is where we're start going to start to bring in the uh, Lactoplanetarium 99, which has been shown in research to support gut integrity. This is where we're layering in the Saccharomyces boulardii to be antifungal. Um, so this is a more wide strain diversity probiotic and one that I would put people on if they have known history of dysbiosis or yeast overgrowth in their body. And then um, there is also the phytofiber in this bundle. So it's the baseline restore probiotic, the rebuild spectrum, the GI cleanup, and the phytofiber. And there is protocol on the website. We'll link the page for that bundle of how to use all of those formulas. Now, the only caveat I would say is if, like me, you were already taking the targeted strength probiotic preceding the antibiotic or you know the gut cleanse that you went into and you wanted to reset your flora you could absolutely just follow this bacteria rebuild protocol but you may benefit from higher dose than the baseline restore probiotic and you may just keep in your targeted strength as is double down like i said so you're taking one at bed during your antibiotic use then you're taking one at rise one at bed for the same length that you were on the antibiotic and what i would do in that case is just layer in the rebuild spectrum probiotic and then maybe just the gi cleanup and use the the fiber from your diet as the fiber option. So that'd be the alternate option to the bacteria rebuild bundle Totally. And if it's been a while since you've taken an antibiotic, but maybe you're still experiencing ill effects, that's when you might want to go down the rabbit hole first of that probiotic challenge to kind of assess the state of your gut um, and maybe doing, you know, a beat the bloat cleanse. I know you did that as soon as you weaned Stella, you were like, I'm going to hit this hard because I've had all of this exposure with the C-section. Although that was, you know, a, le a year later, you still got really benefit beneficial outcomes from 
Most definitely. Yeah. And, um, I didn't have any signs of yeast overgrowth at that time, but man, did I have the bloating and distension? Mm -hmm. Uh, it was quite severe and that was a huge improvement after doing that beat the bloat cleanse. So I was very excited to be able to do that. It was, it was sad to see her wean at the year mark, but I was also ready to take my body back. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Totally. Um, let's go down the rabbit hole on maybe some alternatives to antibiotics or natural compounds that we could try first before we resort to the heavy hitter of the antibiotic. Sure. So, um, oregano oil is one that I had mentioned earlier when I was thinking of the garlic mullen oil, but oregano oil is a very powerful, um, compound. It has, uh, uh, thymol, which is actually one of the EPA approved compounds to use as a disinfectant. Go figure. Did you know that? that? Yeah, I know. Um, so it has, um, carvacrol and thymol as its active constituents. Um, that have been shown in scientific study to have antibacterial and antimicrobial properties. Um, Garlic is another one, of course. Garlic, very powerful antiviral, as well as antibacterial, antifungal, and even antiparasite capabilities. So like I said, I will link that garlic ear oil, Um, but doing like the 40 cloves of garlic soup would be a really awesome idea at this time if we're looking to both enhance the immune system and maybe kind of reset that gut flora. Uh, colloidal silver is one that I will use, um, especially if we're not getting outcomes from a lot of the botanicals, um, just because it has a little bit of a different distribution with the you know nanoparticles, the parts per million of the colloidal silver, which has been shown to be antibacterial and antifungal. And uh, I will also bring in more commonly though, berberine in kind of my first trifecta. It's like the oil of oregano because that's in the herbal immune formulation. And that also has thyme, lemon balm, and sage, which each of them actually have really powerful compounds. And then berberine is usually the right away go-to, which has antimicrobial and antifungal support. Um, it's been shown, um, to be efficacious to kill off various gut pathogens and the benefits of berberine far extend bacterial reset. As we mentioned, the sexual hormone balancing element, the uterine tissue support, um, as well as the metabolic health support, uh, you know, working as an oral hypoglycemic and, um, reducing blood sugar, uh, levels. We see that berberine can be very supportive in an individual's fasting blood sugar. So they're the way that their body regulates glucose could be influenced by, um, adding in something like berberine. And we've even seen that it can be effective in MRSA, which is methicillin resistant staphylococcus, which is one of those hospital infections that super that bugs. Super bug. Yep. Yeah. And that's what's really cool about these plant botanicals, aside from these synthetic antibiotics, is that they can actually get into the biofilms or these kind of networks of bacteria. And um, what I would say along the lines of biofilms, one of my kind of go to punches also, if I'm dealing with antibiotic resistance or a gut cleanse is our cellular antiox. And that's why our beat the bloat cleanse includes the ultimate detox in there. The ultimate detox has a lot of those phase two sulfur containing detoxifying compounds, which can help with both the removal of the debris from the die off, because we know as you are using antibacterial and antifungal agents that you are killing, again, the microbiome is three to five pounds of your, of your body. So you're going to be killing some debris and that liberation, you need to support your liver and its clearance. Um, but I do find that the higher dose of NAC, 
um, that the cellular antiox provides can be an added tool to um, you know a gut cleanse or a protocol, especially even just maybe layering on after you're on an antibiotic to bring in the cellular antiox to, to boost up your glutathione, sure. to support your liver in clearing any of that die-off debris. I think that that would definitely be a strong consideration, not as an antibacterial agent, but as a supporting agent to get at the biofilms and also aid in the uh, detox of the debris. Absolutely. And then, you know, some food-based um, compounds as well, like turmeric can be really effective. Manuka honey, I think of that more so as a topical for things like eczema um, or psoriasis or skin infections. And I know you'll often do like a turmeric paste if, if there's something going yeah. on with the skin. Yeah. Tumor- and honey is antimicrobial mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, they've used honey as like a salve instead of a Band-Aid yeah. um, anthropologically. So th- this is something that can be very supportive for sure. And um, on the food world also, I would say, obviously bringing down carbohydrates. Um, So sticking to a low glycemic diet because when we get elevations in blood sugar this disrupts the microbiome it drives overgrowth of the dysbiotic flora as well as yeast overgrowth in the body and i'd remove all yeasted foods um, for that time being if dealing with um, bacterial resistance or bacterial overgrowth or even after that sterility of the antibiotic i'd keep the diet lower carb um, until you get that robust positive gut diversity going and, and the cool thing here too is that, you know, a lot of the foods that we've called out in various immune supporting episodes, which I'll link a few of those as well, um, but that we talked about in the context of the pandemic and prevention would also be, you know, potential antibiotics because they're kind of broad spectrum antimicrobials. Um, so like the master tonic comes to mind as something that you could use um, as well if you were dealing with more of a systemic infection. And I think what's really cool about that, Becky, is something like the master tonic, which has that high amounts of the capsaicin from the spicy peppers and also the sulfur components from the garlic and the alliums in there. And, um, you know, just getting that kind of blended synergy formula, there also are a lot of players in there that are antiviral. Mm -hmm. So when you're using more of this food as medicine approach, again, like berberine being both antiviral and antimicrobial, the herbal immune having antimicrobial and antiviral compounds, there's more broad scope approach. It's less harmful and it very likely would be more beneficial on a broad stroke, whereas the antibiotics cannot impact virus. Right. Exactly. Um, and then what about just to touch on a couple of favorite probiotic foods? So I think if you're on an antibiotic, the answer is we want you to, you know, do a probiotic supplement to really replete. But what about just incorporating probiotic foods in general in that process of, of trying to recover? Yeah, I think that that's a fantastic approach. And if it is something that has a lot of ear, nose, and throat area of stress, even including upper respiratory, I would maybe hold back on the dairy yogurt, but I would do a non-dairy yogurt in that case. But if not dealing with any ear, nose, and throat stuff, and we're just talking about like a gut thing, um, then you could totally use dairy yogurt as well. So yogurt would be a fantastic one kombucha as an effervescent beverage, which has that SCOBY, that symbiotic colony of bacteria and yeast, Um, the Bragg's apple cider vinegar or an unfiltered vinegar, which has that fermented favorable yeast in there as well, Uh, 
pickled vegetables like kraut, kimchi, and um, the various forms of pickled blends, which have the live active cultures from the lactobacillus family, and uh, miso, another uh, fantastic tool as a probiotic delivery that you could stir into a little bit of um, bone broth once you take it off of the heat, um, or even mix into like a salad dressing. And then incorporating prebiotics to kind of help those probiotics to take root. That's the same concept of using that phytofiber, you know, during that bacteria rebuild protocol. Uh, But things like asparagus, garlic, and just kind of your cruciferous alien family of vegetables in general, um, leafy greens even are going to provide some of that fertilizer, if you will, to help the probiotics to um, actually inoculate the gut and get where they need to go. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, you know, even things like banana, artichoke would be in there because we're looking at things like inulin mm-hmm. and the FOS or fructooligosaccharides. As we're talking about probiotic supplements, I just want to call out that that is something that I do strategically separate. Um, so you will not see any of our probiotics in our line to have a prebiotic fiber mm-hmm. blend in them. And the reason being is I truly feel that a live active culture probiotic is the gold standard. I'm so heavily weighed in, in bed on those over the soil based organisms and the various forms that I've seen come on the market in the last decade. Um, the live active cultures in these strains that are ID guaranteed. Um, that are third-party assessed to be viable, I feel the most confident about. And I believe that the prebiotics, we should really get in the diet um, because a prebiotic mixed with a probiotic in a supplement form could um, create confusing data with the gut as far as fermentation, bloating, and regulation. And I really want you to get the fiber from the diet instead. But if you were doing a very low carbohydrate diet and you were doing a keto that didn't have all of my food as medicine of the two to three cups of leafy greens and getting in these sulfur cruciferous vegetables regularly, then the phytofiber would be a really important add-on because it would be important to, like you said, nurture or fertilize these good gut bugs so that they can really set up camp and build beneficial biofilms that work as favorable networks of bacteria to create a natural defense against bacterial overgrowth. And that's the really groovy thing about probiotics that maybe we haven't really said yet is that probiotics defend your body against bacterial infection. Mm -hmm. Um, Probiotics defend your body against viral infection. Probiotics, so probiotics are your body's defense mechanism and your army to support your system as well. Totally. So to take it full circle, if you're on a probiotic, you may not have to go on that antibiotic in the first place. Exactly. (laughs) Yep. 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 Most definitely. Um, Let's round things out today with just maybe a quick tidbit because I think we're going to cover this next episode more in depth, Um, but just concerns with the pandemic and recent surge of sterilization, everything from hand sanitizers to increased disinfectant use in public spaces and these like scary looking germ foggers that they're supposedly going to be using in schools when kids go back they to already school. Are. They are. Yeah. yeah, they already are. I've had a lot of people DM me about this since I've been speaking up, um, women that women and men, but um, in particular, there was a woman that is in charge of spraying the playground every hour on the hour. Um, another person within the school system that was talking about how they're using these disinfectant guns. And so the concern is that they're spraying these really um, uh, large scope parts per million of um, 
different disinfectants that have been shown to be quite harmful for the human body, um, including like quaternary ammonium, that's a very common ingredient, and then the triethylene glycol. Those are the two more common um, solvents, if you will, in, in these guns and foggers. And both of these have their own areas of concern when we're talking about neurological damage, hormone concerns, and infertility, cancer risk, which is in that neurological family, but I would also extend that to Parkinson's. I would extend neurological damage into MS. I would extend that into ADHD and autism. Um, and then we are seeing oversterilization and superbugs from the use of these foggers. Um, as well as then compromised immune health for those that are exposed to these compounds. So the concern, again, is that we're... we're, hmm, I need to take a breath before I say it. So (laughs) before I hit my head against the wall here real quickly. The concern is that when we're looking at clinical interventions and we're looking at um, tools to use to keep our children safe during pandemic it's still, I would say very clearly that the jury is still out on whether asymptomatic carriers can transmit disease. Um, So I shared that study that showed 466, I think it was, something like that, uh, people exposed to infected individuals and zero of the 466 got infected. Um, And so as we're starting to see studies come out, it seems like this asymptomatic thing is less significant than we once thought. Um, and now we're, there's a new rhetoric, there's a new term called pre-symptomatic mm. because asymptomatic is going to continue to lose steam, I believe, um, as more research comes out, as we see cases go up, but the death counts stay very consistent um, because that only shows that the case fatality rate is less significant. Sure. And so that states that we have less, we're getting closer to herd immunity and we have less of a need for an intervention such as a vaccine or all of this hogwash of what the CDC is stating back to school guidelines should entail. Um, but the, the real hard truth is that, you know, when we look at children and we're talking about kids from zero to 13, only 26 children have died of COVID-19. And I think we could even say, is it of, or is it with? Um, because I have not seen the medical records on any of those children. And I don't want to sound harsh. Every single life lost is absolutely terrible. You know, we don't want to see any children die at all, of course. But when we look at the last flu seasons, we look at the flu season two years ago from the 2017 and 2018 flu season, that killed 186 children. So I'm not saying that these 26 lives lost are, are not impactful or not significant. I'm saying statistically, it's a seventh of the amount of children that are impacted from cold and flu. And so when we're looking at these interventions on something that is less severe than the standard flu, I don't understand when we're taking something that has been shown in clinical literature to drive infertility, um, to drive sterility in sexual hormones um, and the development of sexual glands, to drive neurological damage, to impact respiratory function and alter immunological function, right? (laughs) So we're using things that are known to cause harm because it's possible, it's possible that that child, if infected, even though not symptomatic, and even though likely not going to have health harm from the infection itself, could possibly infect grandma or grandpa and could possibly hinder their health. I I just can't make logical sense of that. 
It doesn't make sense. And, and, you know, hopefully these interventions won't continue for flu season or, or, you know, we pick them up year after year ongoing. Um, but what would be maybe some thoughts on, on what to do if, if your workplace or your child's school is doing this already, what are some options you could present to them? Yeah. So, I mean, I hate to be short because next week we're going to dig a little bit deeper into it. Um, but I will leave you guys with some resources for now. Um, I will hope to have my blog up by then of what I've been emailing back and forth in correspondence with Stella's Montessori school. I'm advocating for hydrogen peroxide. Um, they're right now using a bleach, a diluted bleach solution, which is actually less hazardous than those two compounds that I was Mm -hmm. mentioning. And they're doing a diluted bleach solution to wipe surfaces and they're wiping surfaces every two hours and they're keeping the back door open for ventilation and opening windows. And so I was like decent with that, but you can still get better. So, I mean, the first thing to do is, is ask what's being used in your child's school, provide them literature and resources, which I will put together a tight blog with research studies on the quaternary ammonium and um, also the other endocrine disrupting compound that's commonly being used. And um, there are safer options out there. But generally speaking, if it is a publicly funded school or a daycare that is um, state you know, regulated, you do have to find an EPA listed disinfectant, not just a sanitizer. And so it's not as easy as like bringing branch basics off to the school. (laughs) Um, We have to know that the product is a a disinfectant deemed by the EPA, but the hydrogen peroxide fits that bill. Okay. So there are a lot of hydrogen peroxide based blends. And then in the household, most definitely rid all of the Clorox, all of the garbage, which just over sterilize and create super bugs and get down to, we love branch basics. I'll put a link in the um, show notes. This is what I use in my household. It's what I use for my laundry and my um, windows and my countertops and everything. Everything. There's just different dilutions you can apply, and you can use the code Allie Miller RD, and you get 15% off on. I think it's 10 or 15% off on your um, order, and uh, it's a really fantastic uh, plant-based cleaner that we love and we see really good outcomes from. And then you could even add it's fragrance-free, which I love, but you can add a little bit of essential oil if you want to like their spray bottles. Um, I'm a big fan of getting air filters in the school, so I'm trying to get some campaigns of you know parents just pitching in for HEPA filters for sure. the classroom. If the school can't do it, what can we do to mitigate and offset this impact for our household? And then I have been giving Stella more um, vigilantly a um, cellular antiox, which that one is quite acidic. We're still playing with um, best combinations, but she's a darn champ with I, all of. I saw her eat it with chocolate ice cream. She it's did impressive. Yeah, <laughs> and not a lot, like like a tablespoon of yeah. chocolate ice cream, the lick grass fed ice cream. Where I'll mix in a cellular antiox, and she'll take the bites. Um, and then the Bio C Plus, um, I've been doing a lot more regularly as I spoke to with chlorine and the bio C plus is delicious, by the way. Um, you should taste it, Becky. You can taste the acerol cherry and it's like totally palatable. Um, so that will mix in anything like a bite of yogurt, whatever. Um, so she's been getting one of those pretty much like four to five times a week. And of course that helps with the antioxidant capacity and, um, liver support and, uh, the grass-fed way for the yep. immunoglobulins. Yep. I think we put the um, BioC Plus in the adrenal rehab shake when we redid uh, or uh, redid that recipe and, and did it for the adrenal rehab program. So I'm pretty sure we tasted it that way. Okay. It was totally yep. delicious and palatable and didn't know it was in there. Yeah, it's awesome. So that's one that definitely can be used in a powdered form for your kids. 
Yes, but definitely more to come on next week's episode on um, some of these concerns. We'll be talking about the importance of breath and so digging in more, I think, on air quality and and the respiratory impact and how to support your respiratory system. And um, we'll talk Allie's new findings on all of the things as well. So if you liked today's episode, head on over to iTunes leave us a five-star review or wherever you listen to your podcasts, leave a review along with a couple of sentences on why you love the Naturally Nourished podcast. Always know that the show notes are there to support you, especially with an episode like today where we have a lot of research-heavy links and a lot of resources within and, and outside of our supplement line as well. Yes. And if you are listening to the podcast and you have yet to do a probiotic challenge, I think that this is the time to check it out. (laughs) So definitely uh, make sure that you check out that link in particular under protocols at AllieMillerRD.com and see for yourself the status of your microbiome. And that'll help you to determine which supplement product is best for you. And also we will link in the show notes, a really nifty table that talks about the various formulations and strains. And if your child needs something that's a bigger, heavier hit, if your child was on an antibiotic and you were not able to prevent it um, beyond the kid's biotic, you can also open up the capsules of the probiotic formulas. And I do that in the anti-anxiety diet cookbook with Stella's uh, nut butter balls. So that's always a quick and easy delivery as well. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.